Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Uh, We're going to talk about diversity and leadership today. Not like we haven't talked about it before because we've talked about women. We've talked about older folks and younger folks. That's certainly a diversity, right? Uh, But we're going to take a look at a church uh, in the book of Acts, uh, the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch was an amazing church. And we want to take an example from them and take up because I believe this is the type of church God wants to build here at the Vineyard in Myrtle Beach. So if you flip your handout over on the back side, you'll see a fill-in with the scripture there as well. Now let me give you just, before we pray and jump into this, let me give you a little history of this city. Antioch is like the third biggest city in the Roman Empire. Probably maybe anywhere, you know, population, uh, they just kind of guess at these things. But maybe minimally 300,000 people, up to half a million people. In this city, uh, like I said, the third third biggest and probably most important city in the Roman Empire during that period of time. Uh, This town had multiple deities that it worshipped. It had temples to deities. And uh, this town loved the party. They loved the dance. They were known for their dancing. And uh, it was quite the, you know, the metropolis, actually. A heavy density of population, of very close people living in close proximity to one another, and maybe about 10% or 12% Jewish. And, of course, the first Christians uh, were Jewish. And so you have this Jewish Christians in there. But you also have another group uh, of Jewish Christians that were what they call Hellenistic Jewish Christians. These were uh, Jews who were raised reading the Greek Old Testament, Septuagint, and they were a little more exposed to, let's say, multiculturalism than the Jewish Christians who were raised strictly in their culture. And so this city, Antioch, had quite a few Hellenistic Jews, and so they are kind of the seed for this church in Antioch. And we're going to take a look at it. Now, here's, here's something also... I tell you guys all the time, if you dig into this, you just find so many comparisons and parallels and all. But within the city of Antioch, there were walls that were established. And these were kind of like ghettos, you know. They would separate this group of people from this group of people from this group of people. But into this city of Antioch came the Christian church and came the church of Antioch, whom we will see broke down every single wall that was established in Antioch as far as it's separating people from being able to serve Christ together and to build his church together. Quite a picture to me that God chooses to put a church right in the middle of a city known for putting up walls to separate people. And then he creates a local church in that setting that tears down the walls, basically, and says, let's do this thing together. Let's let's walk in the kingdom together. And so uh, also... A picture, another parallel, if you want to call it that, is that remember the Tower of Babel or Babel, if you call it that, and uh, Tower of Babel back in Genesis 10. Remember, you've seen the movie and uh, things like that. You know, if you haven't read it, you know that man got this, you know, desire that he's going to control everything, and we'll just build a tower to the. I'm paraphrasing Holt version uh, up to the skies, you know, and and God looks down and he goes, man, look at them. Look at them working together. And and he knew it was headed, not headed in the right direction. And so he scatters them and gives them different languages. Right. 
So the Tower of Babel, Genesis 10, Genesis 11, also by way of another parallel, if you look at the list of names in Genesis 10 of the people there at the Tower of Babel, you will see they're very similar to Acts 2. The type of people. Getting this? What happened in Acts 2? The Holy Spirit came, right? Fell on this group of people, similar if you look at the types of people, and indeed comes all kind of, these are all kind of people gathered in Jerusalem, right? And so all Medes, Persians, all kinds of people just gathered there in uh, different languages there. The Holy Spirit falls on Peter. He begins to preach. And it says that those, you know, 120, those that were in the upper room that were there began to speak in other tongues. Now, these were different, like a heavenly language, right, that was given to them. And they're preaching and they're speaking. But what's happening? Everybody understands it. Now, do you get this parallel? Here's, God, here's the confusion of man trying to control and reign. God comes and acts to the same group of people, releases his Holy Spirit. It looks like a language nobody can understand, but everybody gets it because it's God bringing his creation together. Walls in Antioch built to separate. The church in Antioch comes together with a diversity of leadership to lead the church in that city. If you can't see God's hand and you can't see God's heart for what he wants to do, it's almost like God's got us in an arm bar. You know, it's like, come on, take a look, you know, take a look at this. Can't you see what I want to do and what I've done? So into this, we're going to uh, read this passage of scripture about the church in Antioch over in Acts 13, 1 through 3. And uh, then I'll pray and we'll jump into this. Let's read it. Here we go. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Father, bless your word today. The reading of your word, bless our time together. Uh, Jesus, we need you this morning. <laughs> Thank you for all that you have done in this church, through this church, through the other churches that we partner with. Uh, and Lord, by the way, Father, I ask for your mercy and your grace to be poured out in Houston right now to all the people in the surrounding area. Also to our church, Sugarland Vineyard there and the other vineyard that's in Houston, Father, to those folks. And we pray for... Uh, for Reagan, Lord, pastor there, and for their, their church, and that, um, Father, help us too. How can we help and let us know? And so we pray your presence there this morning with them and be with them. And, Father, we ask for your presence here, that you would teach us, guide us. Lord, give me the gift of teaching over the next few minutes. Uh, help me see your word correctly and uh, say what you want to say and show us what you want to show us, Lord. And we'll say, we'll follow you, Lord. We will follow you. So, Lord, uh, help me step back for myself and let your word come forward. And uh, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, your first fill-in, if you're going to track along, and I hope you do, is diversity in leadership represents the community. Diversity in leadership represents the community. Let me read you another scripture uh, from Acts 17, 26 through 27. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them 
and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Do you believe that uh, God has placed you at a particular place in a particular time for a particular reason? You know, do you believe that your neighbors are next door to you because that's where God's planted them? He put them there. Do you believe you live in this community for a reason and God's working in it? And, and uh, you know, our diversity level goes sky high in the summer months. And, uh, and so we have to take note. One of the guiding theological truths of our church is that we want to see, and of course this was Jesus too, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And so we don't have to create anything. All we have to do is look around us and see what is happening and join God in it. And when you see 6,000 students from other nations coming into your area, area, the church goes, duh. I mean, we're here. They're here. Huh. What do we do, right? When you live in an area like we do, that you know, our church... Is strategically, this building is strategically located in Myrtle Beach. It is just, you can reach almost every type of segment of society from this point right here. Shifting all the way around, it is the very center of, you know, Bankers Road to, you know, City Hall to up on the north end to out the Carolina Forest to behind us to over on Dunbar and, and around. And we are right in the center of it. Why? Why? In Antioch, as I said, there were maybe 10% of them Hebrew Jews, and then the others were Hellenistic Jews, and then we have these, these other folks. We have Barnabas, whose name is Son of Encouragement, right? He brought Paul along, and if, as you read... Another, we'll, let me drop this nugget for you. Uh, as you read the book of Acts, you'll see it's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, until Paul starts stepping into his leadership. And then you read in the book of Acts, Saul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas. And uh, you'll watch that go through the book of Acts. Because as Barnabas saw what God was doing in Saul, he began to step back. You know, that's preferring whom God is using, right? It's like, okay, God, you've used me to do this, and I'm stepping back, and I'm going to let Saul go. And uh, he stepped back and he went. But you had Barnabas, who was uh, from uh, the island of Cyprus. He was uh, Jewish priestly heritage, probably well-educated. He's part of the leadership in Antioch. Then you have a guy named Simeon called Niger, which is basically Simon the Dark. That's that. It was a nickname because there were so many Simeons around and that uh, they gave him a nickname. Now, we don't know exactly, but we do know he was dark. We probably, probably from Africa, maybe an Ethiopian. Minimally, he was a very dark-skinned Egyptian. Minimally. But most, most think that he probably was African. And uh, he was a part of the leadership team. Then there's Lucius of Cyrene, North African. Possibly a descendant of African converts to Judaism. He was a part of the leadership team. Menaean, now here is an interesting person. Menaean, it says, was brought up with Herod Antipas. Have you ever heard the name Herod before? Now, this to me is outstanding. If you think you have blown it, so much so that God can never use you, take a look at Menaean. 
One of his friends, the way I read it, was his best friend, his best buddy growing up was Herod. Well, Herod was there at the trial of Jesus, right? He had John the Baptist's head cut off. All of this. And Manan was his good friend at one time. Maybe having been raised with him. That also means Manan is an older dude. It means he's at least in his 60s, right? At least. Mid-60s or so. So we've got this very diverse group of people. And then, uh, you know, we have Saul. We have the Apostle Saul, Paul, who by this time had about 15 years' experience in uh, leading and, you know, working so hard, evangelizing. And if you've read the Bible or if you don't, I'll catch you up. This man, Saul or Paul, was a rabid, you know, rabbi, religious leader at one time. He had papers that gave him permission to hunt down Christians and jail them or kill them. And uh, so you have that kind of background. And Jesus apprehends Paul on on his journey to go get some more Christians, you know, to catch some more and jail more, kill more. And Jesus says, I want you. Why are you you fighting against me, Paul? Why are you kicking against the goats? You know, why are you doing that? Come on. I'm going to blind you for a while so you can see clearly afterwards. And then Paul, of course, has a radical change. You know, my first seminary professor... First class I took, I was so excited to take it. Uh, he didn't believe, he hated Paul. He absolutely, and I found out he wasn't even a believer. But I was at, you know, I was at a liberal arts college at the time. And I was so excited, I was a Christian for three months. I was like, man, this guy's going to teach me the Bible because I don't know anything about it. And I get in there and I start hearing him making fun of Paul and, you know, all of this. And to him, Christianity was a philosophy. And, and it, you know, Paul, he hated, he thought it should just take the, cut all of his letters out of the Bible. And, uh, you know, one of the students told him one day, they said, he, he said about Paul, he says, Paul hated the Christians so much that it messed with him. It made him mentally ill. And so he became one. And one of the students in our class yelled out, better watch out, doctor, you're about to become one. <laughs> often wonder whatever happened to him, you know, but, uh, you know, Paul's life is a testimony to the fact that no matter which way you went, you know, if God is after you and wants you, uh, you're going to hear from him. And, um, and Paul responded. It was a beautiful thing. So we have this diverse leadership. Four of the five leaders in Antioch were not from Antioch. They weren't from Antioch. They were from outside the city. But they loved Jesus, and they were now in this place. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to me because in this church, 97% of this church is not from here. And uh, so when you take a look at the, the surrounding area and you look at your leadership in a local church, though you don't do this just for quota's sake, you should pray and go, I hope my leadership and I hope the leadership that we're working toward would represent what the area looks like. And maybe even a little more so on the minority side so that we can have a, you know, have a testimony of the diversity of what Christ wants to do. And so, it, you know, it's important, I think, that our diversity and leadership represent the community. And we've, we've got some ways to go here. But, you know, I'm praying. It took a few years to 
to see this with the cafe happen. And I'm praying with leaders, more leaders, you know, of uh, different ethnicities and cultures and all that as we see the leadership on people that we say, okay, we recognize and we incorporate. Um, This is from um, Ed Stetzer, uh, who's kind of a church guru, who says, uh, I think we have the saying, we can put it up on the screens, and this is in a recent article, where it says, it seems fair to suggest that the church should have a goal to reflect its local community, not because it has to, but because it wants to. You get that? Not because it has to, but because it wants to. It wants to be, it wants to be a voice in the community. It wants to say, here we are, we see who lives here, and we see who God has blessed us with in, in our area of influence. And so we need your voice. So... Diversity in leadership represents the community in which the church exists. Secondly, your second fill-in is this. That is, diversity in leadership reflects the kingdom of God. Diversity in leadership reflects the kingdom of God. We in the vineyard are a kingdom people. Our driving focus and our belief and the foundation of how we do ministry, our philosophy of ministry is based on our theological belief that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ. It's the already but the not yet. We already see it. We already see signs of life. And part of the signs of life for the kingdom coming to earth is the fact that there is a diversity, there's a plurality of difference in our churches that speak to the bigger picture of the kingdom of God as it will be one day when Jesus brings it all to completion and he comes back to earth. That we get to experience it now. And as I said last week, the, the local church is the small group of the kingdom on earth. This is where we have a microcosm of, of what the bigger kingdom looks like. And so that when I pray, when I study, I see things through the lens of the kingdom of God. And so diversity and leadership reflects the kingdom of God. Galatians 3.28, and you have heard me uh, use this scripture many times. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither slave nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, nor is there male and, or, and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And what? Heirs, according to the promise, everyone is an heir. There's no citizen who is excluded from getting the inheritance of the kingdom. And so the local church should be, should be, a, it should be a picture of that, of the kingdom of God, the way it is going to look. Um, I, the Hellenists, the Greek Jews that were raised and were a part of this, uh, leadership team had already experienced what it was like in diversity because they weren't raised in the situation of the Hebrew speaking Jews and so they were rubbing shoulders with other people in other cultures all the time and so they had a little experience when it came to this therefore you see them in the leadership of this church because they saw it they got it and uh, in, in Revelation 7 9 through 12 the most beautiful picture of the kingdom and its fulfillment, it says, after this, John the, the revelator says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Question, how did he know they were from every nation, tribe, and tongue? 
How did he know that? I mean, it's not a trick question. How do you think? What do you think? Because the dress, the way they dressed, the way they spoke, that's right. The instruments they used to praise God with, every tribe, every people, every language, because it was a cacophony, a beautiful symphonic voice of every type of language. And imagine every type of dress and from their culture, surfers are going to be there with flip-flops and baggies. And, you know, they're going to be standing up front and, and, and uh, you know, worshiping God and, and whatever culture and whatever, you, you know, you don't have to change who you are. You don't have to be different than your culture or different than uh, your, you were raised because in that is the beauty of the fullness of the kingdom. You get this? Now, it's hard. It's work to do this because we like to be around people like ourselves. We do. We're comfortable with people like ourselves. Now, some of us may be a little inquisitive about people different than ourselves, but then once we get to know them, we're not inquisitive anymore. And a lot of times we're like, well, they don't like what I like and I like different things. It takes the kingdom. It takes the king of the kingdom to bring this example of the kingdom of God together as an expression in the community. There is much more going on in your local church than just getting together to sing a few songs and hear a guy talk for 30 minutes. I hope there is. I hope there's a lot more going on. And there's a lot more import to the church. A lot more to what you are and who you are and what you do together in the community than just simply gathering in a building on a Sunday morning. You are a testimony Not just to your community, but to the dark forces that hope to tear us apart and to rip us to shreds. You are the salt and the light. You're it. We should be the first picture of it. The first spot of hope. The place people run to when they go with the crazy. The world's gone crazy. The world's gone crazy, but in the church I, I see every tribe, tongue, nation. I see... People gathered around something much more important than their own desires. Christ, the creator. And so this is a picture of the kingdom of God, how we lead to and the leadership we have because I can't, none of us has the whole picture. None of us can see everything. And um, you know, I try to read, I try to expose myself to all kinds of ideas and different opinions and different cultures and diverse things, but I am, after all, a white Southern boy. <laughs> you know, and I know that. I know that. And, and I believe God planted me here. This is the, I was born in the right place at the right time. I'm right where I should be. But I know this. I don't see it all. And I don't have it all. And I can't possibly know it all. Nor can I possibly know how to love this community the way it deserves to be loved. I need people, brothers and sisters, different ages, male, female, different cultures, ethnicities, for us to come together to say, here's what we can do together. It's a picture of the kingdom. There's more working here than just us liking our little church, you know, our church and having fun. This is an expression of the kingdom of God. They cried this before the throne. We were singing a while ago. I thought of this. Salvation belongs to our God 
who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you imagine hearing that in every tribe, every tongue, every language? We, we tried to sing in Spanish a while ago. Uh, some, of us, some of us did. And, uh, and, but here's what I would like. If, how many people, English is not your first language that we have. Would you mind telling me who you are? Yes. Would you raise your hand? Because I want, if, do I have enough not to, to have? Okay. Can you put that scripture back up on the screen, please? Can you say this, the, the other one, the salvation belongs to our God? That, yeah. Can you say that in your native tongue, just together? I mean, if you speak Spanish or if you speak whatever, can you say it? Say that. Ah. Say it again. Beautiful. Yes. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. The closest I ever came to experiencing this was I was in Singapore for a, a, a church meeting. This is 25, 30 years, no, 25 years ago. And there were 6,000 of us in this room. And there were five English-speaking pastors, of which I was one. And the pastor of that wonderful church got up and said, we are going to sing this song in our native tongues. And everybody started singing this one song. Uh, we were five English-speaking people. And I, turned, I was down on the second row, and I turned around and looked into that audience and listened to that, that beautiful symphonic sound of every tongue. And thought, this is the kingdom. This is it. Because there's such a unity and a beauty when we sing the praises of God together. And so, it's a picture of the kingdom, my friends. And we want to see that here in Myrtle Beach. I mean, I would love for us to be the church that exemplifies the kingdom of God. And that we welcome and we listen and we even have, you know, we have leadership. We broaden our leadership to the, to the point that we have at least we look a little bit like the kingdom. And we also look a bit like our community. Uh, Craig Keener, another wonderful theologian. I say that about all of my quote, and, uh, but they are. <laughs> Craig Keener says this. I uh, put out a lovely paper on this issue uh, about a year ago. He said, The local church with persons from various ethnicities and backgrounds have the privilege of demonstrating how Christ's work within them has removed the dividing wall of animosity and hatred. We have the privilege. It's like the Antioch church, the, the walls that were in that city. They had the privilege to exemplify the kingdom and live differently than their own city of 500,000 were living as an example. Uh, remember, the Holy, remember the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.8 said that, you know, Jesus said that he would empower us, the Holy Spirit, to be what? Witnesses, right? To the ends of the earth. That means that God will give us his people cross-cultural giftings where we can talk and share Jesus and be the light and be the city on the hill that we're supposed to, to the ends of the earth, not just in our little area, but to other people different than us. I'll I'll tell you, if God gives you favor with someone who is different than you culturally, 
or race-wise, and you develop a friendship, you better believe God has given you a cross-cultural gift. You step into it. Because I believe God has given every Christian that. It's like, oh, I don't have that gift. You know, I don't know. I'm just not coming. No, you got the Holy Spirit in you. The same one that was in this church. You know that? It's like, oh, then the Antioch church had a great Holy Spirit. No, you have a great Holy Spirit, all right? The Holy Spirit that lives within you is without any limits as to what you can do for the kingdom of God. You are only limited by what you say yes to. What you are uncomfortable with. Sometimes it's great to be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's an awesome place to not know how to act or talk. Right? Because that's when you learn. Your ears open up. Your heart opens up. And you start learning so much. We have that gift, church. And if you're not a Christian and you're here and somebody's invited you, I hope you get to see what we're supposed to be like. You know, it's just not an organization. A picture of the kingdom. The lifeblood. Of what God is doing on the earth. At Matthew five fourteen through 16. I won't read it. But Jesus said you're a city on a hill. He didn't say you were a sect. In a community. He said you were a city on a hill. A city of light. What does the city do? It has life in it. I think we got a pic. Did you get the picture of Myrtle Beach that I sent there? Can you put that up? And uh, I mean when, you, when we think of Myrtle Beach. Throughout the Grand Strand and around. We're a city within that city. But we're supposed to be a city on a hill. And it doesn't take much of a hill in Myrtle Beach to be noticed. <laughs> right? I mean, you can build a one-foot mound in your backyard and be above everybody. So, I mean, we are a city on a hill on the Grand Strand. People should see it. The light. We have a city because we have people doing life together, sharing with one another, praying for one another, with one another. We're not just a sect of people meeting on Sundays and going about our business. No, we are a city, alive. And Jesus says people are going to see that city and they're going to come to that city. The city is meant to be seen with its lights on. Coming to me. Coming to me. Your last one here is... Diversity in leadership extends our influence for Christ. Diversity in leadership extends our influence for Christ. I, I want to say what Matthew 28 said that, you know, go and make disciples of all the nations. We read that a while ago. That's the scripture, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But I want to say to those of you who are minorities and you come into our church, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know that every Sunday you come in, you're wondering, is there anything here for me? Is there something for me here? And I want you to know we're working on that. <laughs> you know, that's my prayer. The diversity in leadership leads to our influence. Don't we want to be more of an influence in our community? Don't we want to see more people come to know the love of Christ that we sing about? Don't we want to see the least among us, those who have been treated the worst, don't we want to see that they are treated as 100% amazing members of the kingdom of God and brothers and sisters in the kingdom? Don't we want to see that? That takes some work on our, our behalf. But as we allow diversity of, of leadership, we get more of an influence in our community into the different 
ethnicities and cultures of our community. So we could be a witness to our community of a church without walls. You know, the walls, the worst walls many times in a church aren't on the outside, it's on the inside. <laughs> and we come in here and we've got a wall around all of us. Whereas a city, city of God, like the Antioch church, had no walls in it. Embraced one another. Let me close this out and just say this, that Jesus told a Samaritan woman, might as well say like a half-breed woman, She was the first one he said he was the Messiah to. Broke every, you've heard me preach John 4 long, many, many times here. He chose to reveal who he was to a woman at a well from a group of people who hated the Jews and the Jews who hated them. But that's who he chose to reveal who he was. Peter and Cornelius, Peter goes to a Roman centurion's house. Remember Peter and the garden and the sword and all that? What does God do? Hey, Peter, I want you to go over here and talk to this Roman centurion and his whole household. And God's moving on the Roman centurion to invite Peter over to his house. And what does God do? Are you getting this? Can you see what God is doing? I mean, duh. Peter, Cornelius, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is just like so excited about Jesus. He's like, send me anywhere. God says, go over there to that chariot and hang out. Philip, a Hellenistic Jew himself, goes over, hangs out. And he hears an Ethiopian eunuch, very influential man, very wealthy, very knowledgeable, in that chariot. And Philip just kind of goes over, just listening to him talk. And he hears him reading Isaiah about the Messiah. And Philip goes, you understand what you're talking about? And the guy goes, how can I if nobody nobody will explain it to me? And so Philip jumps up into the chariot. And he says, this is the prophecy from Isaiah of the Messiah. The Messiah has come in Jesus Christ. Philip comes to know Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch comes to know Jesus. They're riding along and the Ethiopian looks to see some water. He says, aren't you supposed to be baptized after this happens? And Philip says, yeah, let's jump out. I'll baptize you. And then God took Philip away and the Ethiopian eunuch goes back happy. We never hear from him again, but we do know about the Antioch leadership, don't we? So we know there was some influence in Ethiopia and beyond of Christianity. And we know Philip, as a Hellenized Jew, knew how to communicate with those outside of his own circle. Folks, this is our our call as a church. I want us to stand. Thank you, Father. Let the people see the city. Let the people of the city see the city of God. Thank you, Father. Can we just open our hearts for a moment? Lord, I, I pray for those who have been coming and been so faithful to come here. There are 15, 16% of our areas, African American, 14% Hispanic, 15% Hispanic. We got a ways to go here to even get to where we should be in leadership with that. And Lord, we need leaders. And I ask for you to send them. I promise, Lord, I'll have my eyes open, my heart open. 
we will as leaders as well. We as church. Grant us a kind heart, God, to reach into our communities. To show the love of Christ to everyone. Break the walls down in our own lives and in this church's life and in the community. So that we can be what you've called us to be, God. A city on a hill. Not hidden. Not hidden, Lord, but the light shining bright with your love. That says, come. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.